This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Now this evening we want to go uh, to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And chapter 14 is where we want to be. We're in chapter 13 this morning. And this is part two of messages regarding Samson and Delilah. And without going back into a lot that we said this morning, we gave a lot of the background and context of the whole story. Sufficient to say that Israel, in this 450-year period, uh, was in dire straits spiritually. It was their darkest period. Uh, they had been in the Promised Land for some time now, but instead of possessing the land, uh, they did not deal with their enemies. And we read in chapter 1 uh, how that they did not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Again and again and again repeats that. And so after a while, uh, those inhabitants that should have been driven out of the land were still there, and Israel began to compromise with them and assimilate with them and began to worship their gods. And in that dire strait of a situation, then uh, they would be taken captive, they would be controlled within their own land, virtually like prisoners in their own land. And then after a while, after sometimes even 40 years, they would cry unto God, and God in his mercy would raise up someone to deliver them from the hand of their enemy. And these deliverers were called judges, not that they were like a judge in a court, uh, but that they were men and a woman who was raised up by God and gave great power and authority and faith in order to deliver uh, God's people. And so by the time we come to the story of Samson, uh, the Philistines had been in control now here for 40 years. And... Uh, uh, and they really had a grip of the nation. And uh, it, was, it was tough. Life is hard under them. And even though that was the case, yet Israel worshipped their gods, assimilated with them. There's a lot of intermarriages between them. And it was time for God to do something. And even though in this instance there's no evidence that they cried unto God for deliver, but in spite of that, God still sent them one. And it came through a, a couple, Manoah and his wife, who were Danites, she was barren, and God then gave, opened her womb, and this child that was born to her called Samson was an extraordinary child, special child, given great powers, and the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he could do marvelous exploits. And he was highly gifted. Uh, he had a lot of faith. He had a lot of power, but he was very ill-disciplined. He hadn't much personal discipline in his life. And at the end, a lot of that was dissipated. You know, it says he began to, uh, to uh, rid, really rid the nation of the Philistines, but he never finished that. He never actually finished what he started, and that's the sad part of his life. And so tonight, what we want to do is look now more closely at Samson's life and the things that he did, some of the, the lowlights and the highlights, and then move towards the end uh, to deal with Delilah. So chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnah 
and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now let's just stop there just for a second. This is the first big thing he was doing wrong because he was a Nazarite from his birth and would be a Nazarite until his death. And a Nazarite was simply someone, normally it would be someone who voluntarily consecrated their life to God for a period of time, maybe months, it could be a year, whatever, and they would set themselves apart for God uh, to seek God's face, to pray more, just to, just to be more holy. And so Nazar just means consecrated or separated or set apart. So a Nazarite was somebody who took upon himself a voluntary vow and they would do it for a certain period of time. And then that period of time was up then, the vow was over until another time they wanted to do it. It could be any man or any woman. But because they did that, God then gave them the law of the Nazarite. And that's in Numbers chapter 6. And to cut that short, there were three main things they were not to do. They were not to have anything to do with the, the fruit of the vine or even a grape or a raisin or wine or any strong drink at all. Nothing to do with the fruit of the vine. They were to steer absolutely clear away from that completely. Secondly, they were not allowed to touch anything that was dead. No dead body. And even to the point of neither father nor mother nor sister nor brother. And if they did do that, even accidentally, then their vow was broken and they'd have to go to the priest and offer sacrifices and then start all over again. The third thing they were to do was to grow their hair. They were not to shave their head, they were to grow their hair. And as long as they were under that vow, then they kept growing their hair. Now, if they were there for a year or more, then their hair would be pretty long. But that's what it was. That's what they were to do. Now, one writer, I like what he said. He said, that affected three areas of life. Their appetites, what they ate, what they drank, and uh, also their affections, even their family contacts, and of course then at the end their appearance, those three areas of their life. So this was a big deal. To do this was a big deal. But the thing about Samson was, Samson didn't do this voluntarily. Samson was born a Nazarite. Even his mother, before he was born, the angel of the Lord says, do not touch or eat anything of the fruit of the vine. Don't drink any wine or eat grapes or raisins. Even before he was born. And he was to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. So he couldn't opt out. Could not opt out. This was him born for this. And he was born to be a great deliverer. And so already we see him. Here he is, and he's doing the wrong thing. He's going to Timnah, and a woman of Timnah who was the daughter of the Philistines, which God's word had already prohibited. They were not to marry other people, especially pagan people. They were to marry within their own people. So he's already going down a wrong path immediately. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me for a wife. Now, in those days, it would be customary for the, the patriarch of the home, the father especially of the home, and the mother, but to large degree the father, to make an arranged marriage. He would be the one who would arrange everything. But you see here that Samson has got a mind of his own. And he's the one who went out looking for a wife. Rather than his father going looking for a wife for him, he went and found one that he fancied and says, right, I've got the one I want. Now you make the deal. You go ahead and do that. So you see here he was ill-disciplined. He was not very respectful really to his parents. And he didn't really accept their authority. He was going to be his own authority. That's what he was feeling. 
Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? I mean, they were shocked. Knowing that he was a Nazarite, knowing that he shouldn't be fraternizing with the enemies, and yet here he is and saying, that's the one I want. You go and make the deal. You do this because that's really what I want. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. In other words, I don't care what you say or what you think. This is what I think and this is what I say. So you can see a, a proud, haughty spirit coming here. Even though he was God's man, and even though he was born to be a deliverer, and even though he was highly anointed, and even though he had great faith, as we'll see as we go on, but yet there was that haughtiness, and there was that ill-discipline in his life, even starting out pretty young, and also a disrespect to his parents. He, he wasn't accepting parental authority at all here, and that was not good. And in fact, in chapter 21, verse 35, we read this morning, the very last verse in the Bible, it says, because there was no king Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And here's a classic example. This is what I want, so I'm going to do this, and you're going to help me do this. It's not like the world today. It, it wants what it sees, and it doesn't matter about any authority. I'm going to have this, no matter what anybody says. And that's what Samson is starting out like here. But his father and mother, this is interesting, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For that time, the Philistines, Philistines had been in dominion over Israel. Now, that's odd, isn't it? Where it says, his father and mother did not know it was of the Lord. How would they know that? I mean, this seems to go against everything that God had already said. So how would they know that? That would not be what they're expecting. As far as as far as Samson's care, he didn't care what his parents thought or said, and he certainly didn't care what God thought or said. He was going to do it of his own back. And yet, even though it was a rebellion against authority and all of that, yet God was prepared to use this, to use this against the Philistines. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. So he's in the wrong place. He, he should not even be near vineyards. He's in the wrong place. He's with the wrong people. And he's made the wrong decision. So he's heading for trouble, isn't he? But he didn't care. Didn't bother him one bit. He just did not care. Notice it says he went down to Timnath. Zorah, where he lived, Timnath was just down a bit. Not many miles. As you go through this story, you'll see how many times he goes down. He's always on a downward path. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, I need just to qualify her something there because it says in verse 5 that his mother and father went down with him and then in verse 6 he killed the lion it says he didn't tell his father and mother so obviously they had been up and down making arrangements and one of the times he was on his own and while he was on his own then this young strong lion came out and it attacked him 
And so when it attacked him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and this supernatural strength came upon him, and he ripped that young lion apart like a baby goat, just tore the thing apart. Now, now, he did not tell his father and mother. And maybe the reason why he did not tell them was is because now he has touched a dead body. Now, you say, well, he couldn't help it. He was attacked. He was defending himself. Yes, but whether deliberately or accidentally, if a Nazarite touched a dead body, then for a period of time, temporarily, then they had to lay aside that vow and commit themselves all over again. So he, knowing, knowing this, chose not to do that, not to say to anybody. And again, you see this arrogance of... Uh, 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 in his heart. So he did not tell his father and his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, which he had no business doing. So now he's deliberately. This time the lion didn't attack him, where he had no choice. Now he has a choice, but you see, he's keeping pushing the envelope, isn't he? He's just keeping pushing so now he deliberately goes to this dead body, which he should not have done. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands, and he went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate, but he did not tell them what he had taken, did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So maybe a little part of him, maybe just a teeny little part of him felt a little bit of guilt. And maybe thought, hmm, uh, I'll not give him a father and mother. Or the alternative is he was just so arrogant and just could care less that he just gave it to them anyway. Even though this was wrong and he knew in his heart this was wrong. But by the way, we don't know how long he was for this to happen. Uh, when he killed that lion, you know, probably within... 15 minutes of walking away, the vultures would come, the jackals would come, the carrion prey animals would come uh, and, and begin to feed on that, and it wouldn't be too long till it was stripped to the bones, and then the insects and the ants would come, and the heat of the sun then, it would be bleached, and then the bees came, and I asked our resident beekeeper tonight, Gary, <laughs> in the wild, how long would it take bees to make a honeycomb, and he professionally assuredly told me that it would take probably a week and a half, maybe two weeks for that to happen. And so, I'm just throwing that in there. <laughs> if you have any problems with that, see Gary, all right? Don't come to me. I know nothing about bees. All right, so, so his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. Now, this feast was just a boozing session. Uh, the, the wedding feast would last about seven days, and the drink would be flowing. This would be a Philistine stag party. This would basically be what this would be. For their young men used to do so, and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So here's a, a Philistine stag party, the wine would be flowing, and it's hard to imagine that Samson wouldn't be in the middle of it. He was there. 
And it's hard to imagine he wouldn't be drinking the wine. He's breaking all the rules. He's doing what he's not supposed to be doing. But he's doing it. And so when the party was in full flow and the wine was flowing, then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Now these changes of garment, this is not a fiver t-shirt or a pre-mark. This is not a pair of men's trousers, 12 pound and done stores. I mean, these are the best. These are best old garments. These are their Sunday go to meeting suits. These are the best. Because he's thinking, I'm getting married. Seven days, my marriage will be complete, and I want a whole new wardrobe. And this is the best way to get it. It'll cost me nothing, because these idiots will never figure this out. That's what he's thinking. So they said, well, pose your riddle. He said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, we know exactly what that means, because we read the story. But if we didn't know the story, and if we didn't know that he had killed the lion and the bees made a honeycomb in it, then we would be as ignorant about this riddle as they were. So it would have been a tough one. If you didn't know anything about this, it wouldn't make any sense. Now, for three days, they could not explain the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Ah. You see, here's the problem with parties, with the drinks flowing, and everybody's having great fun. Sometimes that goes too far, and the fun stops, and it gets serious, and somebody's going to get hurt. How many times have you watched the news? And you heard a news flash, and it says, a body of a lady has been found in such and such a street, saying wherever, in this, some town in this country of ours, and foul play is expected to be happened. Or some young man has been found up an entry, and it's suspicious circumstances. And when that happens, our immediate, well, mine is that my immediate thought is, I bet you drink or drugs has been involved in this here. Somewhere along the line, drink or drugs has been involved. And almost nine times out of ten, that's what happens. Next week you hear, well, there was a party in that house where that young man was involved with a group of so so they're in the pub and they come out and there was drugs involved. And before you know it, everything gets out of hand. So things were getting out of hand here. Now this young woman's life is being threatened here. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so why should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Her tears wore him down. She pressed him so much. Then she explained. Then he, she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the men of that city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, just at the last minute, when the bet would be off and they would lose it, 
Here's what they said. What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? Ah, he said to them, and it's not very nice what he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> kind of a bit of an ignorant statement, that, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, ladies. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So that implies that the answer they gave was exactly the answer he gave her. That's what that implies. So she betrayed him. Yes, in fear of her life, but she betrayed him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon. See, he's going down again. And killed 30 of their men, and took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle. So he didn't want to kill 30 in that town because everybody knew it was him. So he went way, 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 way down to Ashkelon on the coast and picked out 30 Philistines and just killed them and stole their clothes, the best clothes he could find, and killed them and came back. And so his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. So after he fulfilled that bet, as it were, he was so angry. And he was angry with his wife, and he was angry with them, he was angry with everybody. And he went back to his father's house to try to kill off a bit before he killed anybody else. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. And so the Philistine father said, well, Samson's away. He's not going to come back. He's angry. He's hot and mad. In fact, I hope he doesn't come back because <laughs> his reputation so... My daughter's marriage has not been consummated, which is a big, big humiliation for that family, so I'll give her to his best man. That's exactly what happened. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And so when he had cooled off, and after some maybe months, and his anger was pacified, he thought, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to go down and see my wife. Uh, you know, I, 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 really, I really want to see her. So he took a young goat. He didn't take a box of roses or a bunch of flowers. <laughs> he took a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. I don't have to explain what he meant by that. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion, to your best man. Is not her younger sister better than she? <laughs> Please take her instead. This man would have done anything to try to keep this man calm. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Huh. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Now the, these foxes, it says, were probably jackals because jackals hunt in packs where foxes are usually solitary animals. But wherever they were, he caught 300 of them. And he tied their tails together, put a torch, and set them on fire. It's quite cruel, isn't it, to the poor old jackals and foxes. 
but they didn't care. And that, you know, was a, a thing that was done in the ancient days because they were an agricultural people by and large. So you burned down their farm and burned down their fields and burned down their harvest, and then they would starve. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timite, Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. These are wicked people, aren't they? You know, those 30 men threatened her and her father with fire. They threatened to burn her and her father and her house, burn them alive. They didn't do it because Samson lost the bet and he gave them the clothes. But here's this lot doing the same thing. And they know at this point they're not going to get Samson, so what are they going to do? They're going to blame this father and this, this wife, especially the father for giving her away and angering Samson. So what do they do? He says, okay, we'll burn them down. So the Philistines came up and burned her father and her mother with fire. Can't you see now why God wanted these people out of the country? Can you begin to see how wicked they were? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law, no, I read that. Samson, verse 7. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Eton. We don't know how many he killed that day. doesn't say, but you can be sure it would be a lot. And so he goes back to his own land. And he was up this hill where the rock Etam was. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi, which is the area where he was. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? In other words, what, 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 are, you, what are you coming against them? He didn't do you any harm. Why are you coming against us? And they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Now, you would have thought that these men of Judah would have stood by one of their own. But they had compromised so much with the Philistines. They were in thrall of them so much. They didn't want to rock any boats. They didn't want to annoy these Philistines because if they did, they were in trouble, they thought. So, he says, well, why are you coming against them? We didn't do you any harm. So they're cowardly, and they're weak, and they're frightened. He says, well, we're coming against Samson. But note this. Then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you, not know what the, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? <laughs> do you not know that these people rule over us? And now you have annoyed them, and now they're coming to annoy us. You see, the trouble is, Christians, because I'm talking to believers, the trouble is, if we keep compromising and compromising and compromising, then compromise becomes easier and more comfortable than commitment becomes easier to compromise than to commit. And they wanted a life that was comfortable, not rock any boats. You know, let live and let live. Don't touch them, they won't touch us. We won't bother them, they won't bother us. That's the state they were in. 
because they were compromisers. And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, we have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. I like what Gary Enreg said. He said that compromisers have no time for those who are committed. And what you'll find in your Christian experience, if you're out and out for God, whether it's in your family or in the workplace or among your Christian friends, if you're out and out for God, those who aren't out and out for God won't take too kindly to you. They won't like your commitment because they're not committed because they just keep compromising. And that's what was happening to these people. They were compromisers. And here's one man who's committed to do something with these Philistines and who takes them on and they don't like it because it's rocking their boat. But then there's a lovely thing about Samson here. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. Now Samson knew in his heart if the Spirit of God would come upon him, he could kill a lot of them. He knew that. But note here, they're his brethren, the people of Judah. And his quarrel's not with them, his quarrel is with the Philistines. So he doesn't want to attack them. So here's what he says, listen, okay, I'll go, but swear that you'll not kill me. Listen to what they say. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. In other words, we're going to let them kill you for us. <laughs> that's, that's some friends, isn't it? Can you imagine 3,000 of these people? And here they have the strongest man in the nation, the most fearless man in the nation, the man with the most faith in the nation, the man that could be their leader, and they want him dead. They're such compromisers, they want him dead rather than fight against their enemies. It's sad, isn't it? And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Imagine the scene. Here's 3,000 men of Judah, and here's Samson in the middle of them, tied up with two ropes, and they're taking him down, and here's all these thousands, I'm sure there was thousands of Philistines armed to the teeth, and when they see the captive, they begin to cheer and clap and shout because this is the one they want to kill. And they've got him now. But look what happens. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, probably teeth and all in it, and reached out his hand and took it, and he killed a thousand men with it. <laughs> I like sometimes the way the Bible has an economy of words. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that ever happened in the land. One man with a jawbone of a donkey taking on thousands of Philistines armed to the teeth with spears and swords and bows and chairs and everything. And all he's got is a donkey's jawbone, and he kills a thousand of them, and it's hardly even barely mentioned there. Then Samson said, 
with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. He probably must have sung that a dozen times. He was excited. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called that place Ramath Lehi, or jawbone height, that means. Then he became very thirsty. And so he cried out to the Lord. This is the first recorded prayer of Samson. There's only two recorded prayers. This is the first. The last one is just before he dies. And here he is. He's had his greatest victory an amazing, astounding victory. And here he is, just after that, that emotional high is on, and he's singing. And then suddenly, suddenly, he's thirsty. He's got a raging thirst. And he cries out unto the Lord. And he said, then he became thirsty, so he cried unto the Lord, and he said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. So that's good. At least here's an acknowledgement where he said, God, you did this. Yes, I was your servant. Yes, I had the jawbone, but it was your strength, it was your power that helped me to do this. So he's given God the glory. At least thank God he did that. He gave God the glory. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. But look at this, and now I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the circumcised. So he's gone from the great height down. He's crashed down till he thinks, ah, I'm just weary. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I'm going to fall into the hands of the circumcised. They're going to kill me. You remember Elijah? Wasn't that like Elijah after the great battle and the great wonderful thing at Mount Carmel and he killed the prophets of the Baal with a sword and then he had to run because of Jezebel and he got away down to Beersheba into the desert and he says, Lord, it's enough. Take away my life. I mean, he went from that high right down to that low. And sometimes after your greatest victory, because when you get a great victory, sometimes emotionally you're on a high and you're rejoicing and you're worshiping and you're praising. But when that wears off, sometimes then you hit a low. And here he is. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned. He revived. Therefore, he called its name En-Hakor, spring of the collar, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, it looks as if there's a large gap between chapter 15 and chapter 16. So now we're coming to the end, close to the end of his life here. And in verse 1, oh dear, look at the time. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, and he went into her. Here is this man that God has so anointed, incredibly, so gifted, amazingly, had all of this ability, called to be this deliverer from the day he was born, and he's done all of this, and here he is, and yet he can't control his own passions. He can't control his own passions. Samson went to Gaza. Gaza's down, by the way, from where he was. And saw a harlot there. And he went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay await for him all night at the gate of the city. 
And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now this is not your ordinary garden gate. This is the gate of the city. This is the gate that's built into the walls with posts. This is the gate that would be covered on the outside with metal. So their enemies of the fired the fiery darts wouldn't burn the wooden doors. This is a massive, weighty, big gate. And he just plucks it out of the ground. Where were the guards at that time? Well, either he sneaked up on them and done this, and when they saw that, they probably hoofed it. Who do you want to take that man on? And so he carried this up the hill. Now, commentators are divided. It says the hill uh, opposite Hebron. So whether, so whether this was a hill that he could see Hebron in the distance, we don't know, or whether he cried the whole way to a hill at Hebron, and if he did, that's 38 miles. Well, that in your back, that's supernatural. Amen. See, that's just not ordinary. This is just, I told you this morning, don't think of this man like Hercules. He wasn't a great big muscle-bound guy. He wasn't. There's no evidence of that at all. But it's when the Spirit of God came on him, he had supernatural strength. This wasn't his own strength. He didn't do this in his own strength. And so he carried that to the top of the hill. But now look at verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Zorak, which is down again, the valley. Every journey he takes, it's down somewhere. Whose name was Delilah. Now, we don't know hardly anything about Delilah at all. We know that it's a Semitic name. It's not a Philistine name. It's Semitic. She may have had Jewish blood in her veins, but she was a dyed-in-the-wool Philistine, as we'll see. But she must have been beautiful because Samson only went for the beauties. It's what his eyes saw. He didn't care what they were like. He didn't care whether they were pagans or anything. If they looked good, if it pleased what he, if he could see it with his eyes and it pleased him, he was going to have it. That's how he lived. That's how people live today. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. If what we see, that's what we want, we're going to have it. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies because we don't know. We look at this man and we shake our heads and think, how in the world can he do this? Because he wasn't the size of Goliath. He wasn't nine feet tall. And so they had come to the point where something has got to be done. We cannot let this continue. So we need to find out where his strength lies. Being pagans, they probably thought, maybe he's got some magic potion. Maybe some priest somewhere has shaken some dust over him, some magic dust. I mean, who knows what they thought? They just didn't know. They didn't know about the Spirit of God. Find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So that would be 5,500 pieces of silver. I mean, that's like a double rollover lottery win, isn't it? I mean, this is a lot of money here. 
but they were prepared to give it. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, I mean, the matter, many times I read this, I, I'm amazed. She is telling him exactly what she wants to do, to afflict him. He's making no bones about this. I want you tied up, and I want to afflict you. I want to cause you real pain. So it's out in the open. She's not hiding the fact. Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, I shall become weak and like any other man. So here he is. He's beginning to play with his anointing. He knows those bowstrings is going to mean nothing to him. He's got the anointing. He's got the power. But he's beginning to play with it. He's just beginning to use it like a toy. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them, probably when he was asleep. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, probably in the next chamber beside where she was. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. Now this probably happened over several days, or it could have been even several weeks. Probably just didn't happen just one after the other. Probably happened over a little bit of time. Because he was courting her. He was wanting to seduce her. So he was quite pleased to be in her company again and again. And again, as many times as he could be in her company, that's what he wanted. So he said to her, If you bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Huh. You see, he remembered the man of Judah tied him with two new ropes. Didn't mean a thing, did it? He just snapped those like rubber bands. So he knew he could handle this. It's not a problem. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, Sam, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Ah. He's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to giving away the secret. He's signing his own death warrant here and he doesn't know it. So, there's only one thing left as a Nazarite that he's not done yet and that was cut his hair. He's broken every other rule, every other law, many times. But here he is. He's getting closer. If you weave the seven locks of my hair into the web of the loom, so she wove it tightly 
with the baton of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and he pulled out the baton and the web from the loom. <laughs> that must have been some sight for the whole loom hanging from the back of his head looking about for the Philistines. <laughs> now listen. Over these 20 years, he's had this great power, this mighty anointing, this great faith. But he's been toying with it. He's been playing with it. He saw the woman of Timnath, desired her, wanted her, and God did nothing. He killed those 30 innocent Philistines in Ashkelon, and God did nothing. Hmm? He went into the prostitute in Gaza, and God did nothing. In fact, just after that, he carried those gates, anointing was still on him. He got his hand tied with bowstrings, God did nothing. All these things all along, God's doing nothing. Not being chastised, not being rebuked. So he thinks it's okay. God doesn't care. His hair is tied to the weaver's loom. God does nothing. And this is a problem you see with sin. You can go on and go on and go on and go on and nothing happens. No lightning bolts from the sky. Life goes on as before. But then there's one last time. There's a line that's crossed and he's about to cross the line. Never lost a battle in his life. Was always victorious. Could do what he want. The anointing would always be upon him. He thought... And up to this point it was. And God said and did nothing. And he thought, well, that's okay. God doesn't care. He doesn't mind the way I am. I can do these things. God excuse it. Because he knows I'm just a man. Does that sound familiar? That's what sin does. But look closely. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And truthfully, his heart really wasn't with her. He was lusting after her, but his heart wasn't with her. It was just another beautiful woman that he wanted. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. But he told her all his heart. Ah, Samson. Samson, Samson, Samson. He told her all his heart. What a big, big mistake he just made right there. He told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And he's still thinking, Do you know, I'm still a Nazarite. <laughs> I'm special. I'm different. God anoints me. I can do what I want. God lets me away with things. 
But then he says, if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me. More than his strength's about to leave him, the Lord's about to leave him. If I am shaven, then thy strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. That's the third time he said that. But Samson, you're not to be like any other man. You weren't like any other man. You were born to be different than any other man. God gave you a special calling that no other man had. Why would you want to be like any other man? But he was acting like any other man with his passions that he couldn't control. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for one of the lords of the Philistines and said, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. She didn't care about Samson. All she cared about was the silver. She would have sold him out even for less than that. See, when you compromise with the evil one, he's out to destroy us. He doesn't care about us. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. What a cold, callous, wicked woman this is. She knows, as far as she's concerned, he's going to die in a few minutes. And she's lulling him to sleep, knowing that she's going to get him put to death. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep, and he says, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. And then the saddest words in this story, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. never ever crossed his mind for one second that that could happen. All of his life, the Lord was with him. All of his life, the Lord blessed him. All of his life, he was anointed. But suddenly, right now, the Lord departed from him. And now he is as any other man. And then the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes those eyes that cause so much temptation, those roaming eyes that looked out all the beautiful ladies, those eyes that caused his passions to run wild, now they're plucked out and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze fetters they didn't need to bind him in bronze fetters. Now, even one of those bowstrings would have been enough because he's just like any other man. And he became a grinder in the prison, grinding corn in the prison. That was a woman's job, by the way, grinding corn. It wasn't a man's job, it was a woman's job. So they're humiliating him now. However, however, <laughs> in time the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. The Philistines never thought about that, never even spotted it. 
But somewhere in that prison, in time, even though he couldn't see it, he could feel it. He put his hands up and he thought, my hair's grown again. And the thought of being a Nazarite, I think, began to rise up in his spirit again. Now, people are divided in this next final part. Um, and his prayer, his, his actual prayer is, without question, somewhat selfish. But God was pleased to answer it. So maybe, maybe, maybe in that prison house, over that period of time, maybe there was a repentance in his heart. Maybe at last he thought, do you know what? I have really messed up my whole life. I've ruined it. Look what God gave me and I've spoiled it. But my hair's grown again. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. <laughs> Lots of ours there, isn't there? And so it happened. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And so here's this arena, this stadium. There's 3,000 in there worshiping this Dagon, their God, a special day. And what better way for them to have sport and fun in their festivities to bring out Samson? and make fun of him and laugh and scorn at him and rejoice that their God had delivered them into their hands. So Samson's led out. A wee boy leads him out. A lad leads him out. Kind of like a performing bear at a circus. He's tamed now. He's toothless. He's no strength. He's no power. He's no threat anymore. That's what they're thinking. So we'll just laugh at him. We'll just make fun of him. Perform for us. We don't know what he did whether he danced a jig or what, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say what he did. But whatever it was, they just laughed. They laughed him to scorn. And they stationed him between the pillars. Huh. Now, they had a thought for two minutes. That was a dangerous thing for them to do, but they weren't thinking. They thought, look at him. He's pitiful looking. He could do nobody any harm. Look, he's blind. His eyes are gouged out. A little lad's just leading him out. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And so all around this arena was 3,000 people and there seemed to be like a special box like a royal box, as it were, where the lords were sitting. And you can be sure, I'm sure Delilah was in the middle of that, because she would be a special guest. She was the one who delivered him. So she would be in, be in praise, I'm sure. And Samson, now standing underneath them, between the pillars, Samson called to the Lord, saying, O oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God. By the way, he called God's name three different names. So this was an earnest prayer. He knew who he was talking to. 
Oh God, he says, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And that's why many people say he was just totally selfish. So all he cared about was himself again. But I'm not sure that's the case. Yes, he wanted avenged of his two eyes. No question about that. Who wouldn't? But he wanted to destroy God's enemies and his enemies. Just one more time. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right hand, the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. One last time. And he did this by faith. He did this by faith because up to that point he knew he had no strength. He was just like any other man. And here he is standing between these pillars praying and saying, Oh God, just one more time, let your power come. And he really believed it would happen. And it did happen, didn't it? And his brothers and all his father's household, when it says his brothers, it probably means his brethren, means his countrymen. Because it doesn't look as if he had any brothers, physical brothers. His brothers or his brethren and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he had judged Israel 20 years. His old dad never got to live to see. And I'm hoping, I don't know, but I'm hoping his old dad didn't live long enough to see the end that he came to in that prison house. I'm sure that would absolutely broke his heart. But his countrymen, the ones who just some time ago were going to ha did hand them over to the Philistines to kill them, so he'd be killed, here they are, and at last, finally, they have some respect for this man. And they come, and they take his body. And actually, the Philistines must have some respect too, because normally they would destroy bodies or disfigure bodies or cut their heads off and stick them in a pole somewhere, but they did nothing to this man. So at least they had some kind of respect and there he was, he was buried in the tomb of his father, Manoah. What a story for our admonition. To warn us, to show us that no matter how far we go with God, no matter how gifted we are in God, no matter how much God, God does for us and to us and uses us, a man or woman can still fall if they don't keep short accounts. If they don't keep short accounts and walk truly with the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even with all this man's faults and mistakes, with all his waywardness and indiscipline, yet, in spite of it all, you still used him. And even at the last, he answered his final prayer. So, Lord, that gives us some hope. Not that we want to break all the rules and live our own way, but, Lord, even if we fail, even if we mess up, there's still hope if we repent. There's still hope, Lord, that you would forgive, 
and that you would restore, and Lord, once again, that you would use. And so we give you thanks, Lord, for this story in the Bible that you put there by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to think about it and to take the warnings and the encouragements and go forward in Christ and to live for you and trust your Holy Spirit in us to do the work that you want us to do. For, Lord, we are consecrated and separated from this world unto you. We're no longer in this world. We're no longer of this world, even though we're in it, but we're not of it anymore. Lord, we're separate from it. So we give you thanks for that. Help us to live in such a way that our lives will be consecrated unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.